Please be seated. Good morning on this Good Shepherd Sunday. I've been fascinated by the movement of the Spirit in the lectionary this year, most recently when I saw that the Rhoda assigned me this passage, because it immediately follows the gospel portion I preached on Lent 4, the man born blind from birth. This part of the Good Shepherd discourse begins right after that story, so there's no change of scene or audience between the two, which means Jesus is preaching this discourse to the same people who were responding to that healing miracle. In light of that, today I want to explore the continuity of thought If we were listening to John's gospel straight through, we would have just heard the story of the man born with blindness. So its connection to the Good Shepherd would have been organic and natural in a way that it isn't for us if we hear them six weeks apart. And that connection prompts us to ask, why are they part of the same story? And why does John place this teaching discourse where he does? So let's go back to that story for a few moments to help us understand. I'm sure you recall that the disciples were the first to ask Jesus if the man somehow deserved being blind as punishment for his own sin or the sins of his parents. Furthermore, the disciples are not the only ones in the story who hold that view. So while a cursory reading of that story makes it seem that the Pharisees are the bad guys, a more careful reading reveals that what Jesus was trying to express sounded countercultural to everyone else. So much so that even his own disciples did not understand him. They, like everyone else, thought that God was a divine judge who punishes us for our sins. Jesus' disciples may be the first in the story to express that kind of magical thinking explanation of why bad things happen to good people, but they're not the last. And as we all know, all of us fall prey to that kind of thinking sometimes. You also recall it's an incredibly complicated story involving Jesus, the disciples, the man, his parents, the Pharisees, the neighbors, and many, many bystanders. So the whole neighborhood was a buzz. Everyone, not just the Pharisees, was trying to figure out why someone so obviously deserving of punishment by God in their worldview had been healed. Why? Let's be honest. They wanted to know two things. One, how they could avoid having bad things happen to them. And two, what magical get-out-of-jail-free card that guy had, so Jesus healed him. What we ultimately realized was that Jesus was letting us know 
that we're asking the wrong questions. God is not, in fact, a God of punishment and retribution. God's desire was not for this man to be born blind, and his blindness was not a payback for sins. Jesus asserted instead that God's work was being revealed through this man, revealed so that we would pay attention to what's really important, noticing and celebrating how God responds to limitations, how God makes a way out of no way. Limitations, sometimes accidental, like being born with blindness, but also the kinds of limitations that we humans create. The story of the man born with blindness assures us that God, with God, anything is possible, and that we should celebrate barriers being broken down around us every day, every hour, every moment. So what does that have to do with the Good Shepherd? Can I just pause to say that the biblical scholarship in the last 10 years has been amazing? And that what I learned about the Good Shepherd this week is a great case in point. And by the way, I'm sure you notice that we don't get to hear Jesus say, I am the Good Shepherd this morning, but we all know it's part of this same discourse. In our passage today, Jesus talks about being the gate for the sheep. Why does he choose that particular metaphor. What's so important about the gate? Clearly, there's more than one meaning to the gate. The first and most common one is it's the gate of a sheepfold, a very straightforward agricultural reference, which a first century listener would have found extremely familiar. When we hear it that way, even we, the city dwellers here in New York, can envision a pastoral setting in which we, the sheep, are being protected and held by a loving God. That's the version we see so often in church windows, like the one right over there, over the doors, on the way to the parish hall. A gentle vision, one of comfort and security. But there's another very specific sheep gate that John's Gospel pointedly references. And that connection is made clear by where John places this discourse in the Gospel, linking it with the man born with blindness. The Good Shepherd portion comes just after a story of a healing in which God shatters boundaries, not only physical ones, but societal, class, and political ones. The geographic location of both that episode and this discourse is right outside the temple in Jerusalem. We know this because Jesus leaves the temple at the end of chapter 8 and immediately encounters 
the man born with blindness. So John is telling us right away that God's inbreaking love and norm-shattering actions are never confined by the limits of organized religion. But there's more. At the temple, there is literally a gate that is the designated sheep gate. This was the gate used for sending the sacrificial animals into the temple to be slaughtered. Remember in chapter one of this gospel, John the Baptist cries, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Evangelist has told us right from the beginning that Jesus is not referencing just any ordinary sheep gate. He is first and foremost pointing to the gate of the temple through which the sheep pass to be killed. So by saying that he's the gate, Jesus shows us that he identifies with and is part of the community of those who are marginalized, those whom the powerful of the world deem acceptable sacrifices among the human family. He's the one who people like the man, he's one with the people who like the man born with blindness are expendable. Heaven knows, this past three years, we have heard way too many examples of this starkly callous attitude. Far too many people intentionally wrote off their neighbors as acceptable sacrifices to COVID. In March 2020, one Texas politician literally said, quote, grandparents should be willing to die to save the economy for their grandchildren, unquote. It doesn't get more cold-blooded than that. We've also seen for decades the willingness to pillage this fragile earth, our island home. Companies like Exxon have bait and switched us for years, all the while knowing that fossil fuels were destroying the environment, but continually choosing profit over the health of the planet. Refusing to admit that as early as the 1970s, their own data showed the damage they were doing. This month, as we celebrate Earth Month and Earth Day, the recognition of the Earth herself as a marginalized, sacrificial victim must be named. Jesus is the Good Shepherd because he does not differentiate himself from the sheep who will be slaughtered. Instead, per John's account, he chooses to die with them. He makes it clear that he is the shepherd who will never abandon the sheep. He will stay with them even unto death. He is in us, and we are in him. There is no separation 
of our fates. But here's the kicker. In this passage, Jesus says more than once, he, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Once again, if we think of it just as a pleasant pastoral metaphor, we might think that's no big deal, because of course he leads them out. The sheepfold is a place of safety, but eventually the sheep need to go out and graze. But think how much more profound that statement is when we connect it to the sheep gate of the temple. The sheep gate that leads only one way, to certain death. This shepherd leads us away from death, even through death, away from being understood to be acceptable collateral damage, away from being labeled expendable. With this discourse, Jesus is interrupting the seemingly endless cycle of scapegoating violence in which we all play a part. He blows the cover off the violence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Jesus' death and resurrection expose and forever disrupt the mechanisms by which this works, tearing off the masks, the masks especially, that hide behind the pretense of being for the common good. After the resurrection, we can no longer say with any impunity that we didn't know. We can no longer say that we don't see. We can no longer in good conscience continue to stay silent in the face of systemic sacrificial violence. Because we do know and we do see when he heals the man born with blindness, Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. These stories we tell ourselves to sanction violence against innocence are not sacred stories. They never have been, and they never will be, and they are emphatically not of God. The revelation of Easter is that the God of abundant life always has the last word, and that same God has chosen to break down the ultimate barrier, the delusions we humans choose to worship in order to convince ourselves that we will be safe. The Good Shepherd comes to us as one of us and tells us that we no longer need to be afraid, whatever may come. He comes to tell us that the Sheep Gate, through which he willingly goes with us, no longer leads in only one direction. Amen.